So, John, what would I have to do to drive you to shoot me in the head? Well, it's interesting you should ask that question, Harry. Welcome everybody to episode 60 of Beyond the Box Set. Ooh. Podcast where we pitch prequels, sequels and spin-offs to films that don't have any. I'm Harry, joining me as always is John. Hello. So, John of Mice and Men. Yeah, well, you've gone highbrow this week. Is this to celebrate 60 episodes or? No, not intentionally. It's been on my list for a while, this one. I'm sure that you studied it in English in GCSE along Mm. with every other person in this country. Yeah. Why do we study this? Because it's a classic. Is it? Well, did you like it? No. No? What, did you, did you not like the book? I studied this book five years in a row. How? How is that even possible? Because I had a series of new English teachers, and each one came in and was like, right, it's the first thing that I'm going to do for my new class. We're going to study Of Mice and Men. And did nobody think to put the hand up and say, we've kind of done it already? Yeah. <laughs> what kind of crackpot school did you go to? I don't know. But yeah, we did that. And so that did mean that I, I've seen the film five times broken up into about five separate lessons each time. Mm-hmm. I mean, watching it, I did get the feeling... I've not watched this adaptation before, to my knowledge, mm-hmm. unless I've forgotten about it. But I did immediately get that kind of flashback to sitting in a classroom. And, you know, it's it's totally that kind of film. It's such a classroom mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. You don't get these kind of films nowadays, I don't think. No, not I don't the same way. So. Where they just take a, book, a classic book and they go, right, okay, this is really good. Let, let's make a film of this. Mm-hmm. And then that's kind of all they do. Mm. I don't know, I think nowadays it would it would be some kind of experimental, they'd put some twist on it, whereas this is really just literally books of screen. Yeah. It also felt a bit stagey to me. Like It, it could very easily just be a play. Yeah, I, I thought that too. Which apparently is because Gary Sinise, who stars and also directed it, had already appeared in a stage production. Mm-hmm. I think possibly with John Malkovich. So it might actually just uh, be a right. stage to screen kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. It was profoundly depressing. <laughs> as the book is uh-huh, it. Yeah. but it was it was it was quite it did it feel like a nice little gentle throwback to these kind of films that as I say you don't really see much anymore mm-hmm. it's just very kind of unassuming storytelling films mm-hmm. I guess you know yeah yeah I don't know it's, you, you, you look very unconfident with what you're saying now. no it's not that I'm not confident <laughs> with what I'm saying it's just that I don't know it, it's weird for a book for such a famous iconic book and I guess film I, I, I really, I was making, I always make notes of like what I want to talk about on mm-hmm. the episode, like little pointers, and it was really hard to think of much to say about this, really, because it's just, it is, it's the book, and it's nice, and mm-hmm. you know, I had a nice time, mostly, some bits I was quite <laughs> upset, but on the whole. Clearly spoken by somebody who uh, studies English literature. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Such deep analysis there. Yeah. <laughs> Guys like us that work on ranches are the loneliest guys in the world. They got no family, and they don't belong no place. They got nothing to look ahead to. But not us, George. Tell about us. Well, we ain't like that. We got a future. We got got somebody to talk to that gives a damn about us. If them other guys gets in jail, they can rot for all anybody cares. But not us, George, because I I got you to look after me, but you got me to look after. But, George, tell about how it's going to be. But I mean, like, what what did you think watching it back? Um, it 
you're right. It felt very classroomy. It felt, you know, finish this scene, start this scene, finish this scene, start this scene. It, it also did feel like a stage show, I guess. Mm. I think some of the bits that stood out to me were bits that I've now educated myself on a little bit more than I was in school. Sure. For example, the black character. Yes. Who everybody refers to as just the N-word. Yes. Which got quite uncomfortable as the film went on. And then it also made me realise... Wait, this was one of the words that I didn't understand what it was when we all had to read this out in class. So we were just reading this. Mm. A class of white people just reading that out as though it's a completely normal thing to read. Mm -hmm. And there was not a black person in my class. Sure. But I don't know what would would have happened if there was like one black person. I think there was about one black person in our school. Mm Mm-hmm. That's Real, good. really racially diverse in Mid Wales. Yeah, that's Mid Wales for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's interesting you say that because this book is obviously on, on every curriculum, but it's also one of the most banned books in schools. A lot of schools ban it because of the use of the the mm-hmm. N word throughout the book and other profanity in the book, mm-hmm. and also because some people argue that the film promotes euthanasia. Because mm-hmm. obviously, at the end of it, well. We should probably just slightly cycle back and do a quick plot summary for those who haven't read of *Mice and Men* <laughs> uh, or seen any ad- adaptation of it. So it's an adaptation of the book, well, the novella, the novella by John Steinbeck, one of the great American writers, and it stars Gary Sinise and Joe Malkovich. It's set in the 1910s. Did mm-hmm. you see? Yeah, yeah, it says around the 1910s, so <clears throat> plantation era America, and they are two friends. Friends? Question mark. Question mark friends, yeah. We'll circle back to that. Two companions, two <laughs> people who it's, it certainly enjoy each other's company, mm-hmm. to a degree. Um, so two companions who are kind of working on various farms, travelling, the you know, just, just, they're just working men. And John Malkovich's character, Lenny, has some kind of disability mm-hmm. mentally. At the very least, he's somewhat slow or childlike in his behaviour. Mm-hmm. He yeah. seems to have the mind of a child in many ways. Yeah. Um, it's never clear exactly what's happened to him. But consequently, Gary Sinise's character, George has to be very protective of him, has to look after him. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how their relationship is. And they dream of having a farm together where they can tend the rabbits and grow crops. And so after leaving one farm where apparently Lenny has inadvertently scared or attacked or scared a woman, mm-hmm. we see them running away from a bunch of guys with dogs at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And then they have to go to another farm to work. Uh, and they do. And then history kind of repeats itself. Lenny, he seems like a gentle soul, but he's obviously, because he's very big and large and physically strong, he doesn't know his own strength. And he often accidentally hurts or kills people. Well, he often accidentally hurts or kills animals. Mm-hmm. That's a running theme. So he has a, he keeps killing mice because he pets them too hard. And then he gets a puppy and then he pets that too hard and kills that. And then ultimately he, so the farmer has a son who has a wife who has no name. Who's just Curly's <laughs> wife, mm-hmm. played by Sherilyn Fenn. Lovely, beautiful Sherilyn Fenn from Twin Peaks. And yeah, she's very lonely and a bit of an attention... Well, not a bit of a... That's harsh. She's not an attention seeker. She is quite flirtatious with the farm mm-hmm. staff because she's quite lonely and isolated. And she has a moment of connection with Lenny where she takes pity on him and they have a little conversation. She lets him stroke her hair because he likes to touch soft things. And then he gets a bit too hard on... He pets her a little bit too hard. And then she panics and he grabs her and accidentally kills her. And then at the end of the film, spoiler alert for Mice and Men, Lenny... You say spoiler alert. I mean, but, come on. But yeah. find me a single book in any high school that is not written in the front page, George kills Lenny at the end. Wow, people in Wales are dicks. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, just the way it is. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, so yes, at the end of the film, George is forced to... Well, rather than have Lenny be lynched by the mob that gathers when they found out that Curly's wife has been killed, and it's obviously he did it, he takes Lane to their secret place and shoots him in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. And then it ends. And it's very sad and upsetting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the film. Where are we going to go now? 
I don't know. I like it here. Don't tell, tell me like you've done before. No, about them other guys and about us. Yeah, so this book gets banned because it uses the M-word, uh, has a lot of other profanity, and people say that that end scene in which George shoots Lenny in the back of the head to mm-hmm. spare him from being lynched or whatever might have happened to him otherwise promotes euthanasia. Mm-hmm. Which, I guess. Loosely? Um, yeah, it seems a little bit of a stretch mm. I don't know I, I mean I'm not black the n-word isn't used against me so it's easy for me to say but I, I'm not a big fan of classic literature being banned because it's too provocative I think you know. no I think it's important for education purposes exactly yeah as long as education isn't just here kids read the word yeah it's it's more teaching people about the yeah, word yeah it's and, about the context and where it came from and yeah yeah, why it's not it. acceptable yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. but that should be part of the discussion I think when you are yeah because it absolutely wasn't for me that's awful in five years that's terrible what a damning indictment of the Welsh education system mm. or maybe I just plotted it all out from my memory which has been known to happen that's true yeah anyway what did you think of uh, the performances they were pretty good actually yeah yeah God say John Malkovich really went for it in this mm, he did um, <laughs> Gary Sinise was Gary Sinise yes yeah, Gary Sinise has a type, and yeah. this is definitely in the mould of Lieutenant Dan. And he's yeah. like dry. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. But yeah, John Malkovich was uh, something special to look at. Mm, yeah. I'd never thought of him as being like especially large before. No, me neither. It was weird. I was like, have you always been like six foot two? I don't or think it... he is. I think... Do you think it's like filmed in a way to make him look taller than he is? Mm. That's interesting, yeah. I've seen him in other things, like being John Malkovich, for example. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just seems... Like, if anything, I would have assumed he was quite slight, but in this, he's, whether it's his camera shots or whether he is actually just very tall and very broad, he, he looked like a giant, which I guess is the point. But yeah, he, he was great. It was very capital letters acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was very really like acting. It's, again, it's weird. I think people of sound mind playing people with mental disabilities is always a bit uncomfortable to watch sometimes. It's a very hard line to tread. Mm-hmm. I think he did well. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he yeah. did it sensitively and it was. Yeah, he gave he really gave you a sense that the character wasn't just this, you know, killing machine. You know, he really got a sense that the, you know, it humanized the character very well and it made the whole all the things that unraveled extra sad, I guess. Yeah. yeah it was it was it's such a sad 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 film and book and just mm. general story. Overall it might have been a weird choice for a film this week. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's I think it's yeah, it's an interesting choice to to make to do this cuz yeah, I would never in a million years have expected you to suggest this. More into my weird sci-fi films, aren't I? No, I, mean, I think it's good to branch out though. This one could do with like an alien invasion or it turns out they're all yeah. robots at the well, end. Don't or spoil my sequel just yet. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> that old mighty that dog ears stinks candy. Got no teeth. Got stiff from rheumatism. Ain't no good to you. <laughs> Hell, he ain't no good to himself. Why don't you just shoot him, Candy? Oh, I couldn't do that. I had him too long. So I guess there's the character of Curly as well, who is the older man. No, Candy. Candy, sorry. Candy's mm-hmm. the old man who's very lonely and has his dog shots at one point, mm-hmm. which I found very obsessing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was right, was it? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Monster. Why did that guy shoot the dog? Because he was a dick. Nothing wrong with the dog. I felt so bad for the dog. Like it just looked a bit old and mangy. Well, it did. Yeah, instead of candy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They fitted really well. Yeah, I guess maybe that that was the. What are you going to do? Give him a puppy now? Like the guy's pushing eighty-five. Yeah, he's not going to outlive that puppy. Which in nineteen ten is a miracle. I looked it up. The life expectancy in nineteen ten for men in America ranged from fifty-three years to thirty-six years. Yeesh. So he was definitely on bonus time. Yeah. Wow. Easily. Another mm. 20 years, maybe. Yeah. But yeah, the urgency to shoot the dog. It just felt like that guy 
who, who wasn't a major character and mm. was just one of the farmhands, just really wanted to shoot the dog. Yeah. It was so unnecessary. Like, we're weird nighttime activity. Yeah, it was like the dog looks a bit tired. Oh, kill it, kill it, kill it. Also, like, do it in daytime when it's not everybody's sleeping. Yeah. Hey, everybody's sleeping, let's get out a gun and shoot things. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's your immediate concern. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this dog murder is going to disturb my beauty sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but who's got to dig a hole in the middle of the night and bury it or yeah. whatever? What do, you, what do you want to do that in broad daylight when there might be like, you know, people, everyone can see it? Like, at least it was, I think it was better to do it under cover of darkness if it had to be done at all. Maybe, yeah. yeah. Do it in a barn or something, whatever. Yeah. I don't want to think too much about the logistics of when it's okay to shoot a dog because the answer is never. Mm, they come at you sometimes. Have you ever had a dog come at you? You don't carry a gun. I wish I did. Wish yeah. you just... <laughs> oh, okay, this podcast just took a turn. <laughs> Harry's pro NRA now. <laughs> I once had a dog jump up and bite me on the arm. It was a little Jack Russell. I just lifted my arm up and the dog came with it. Oh, it no. Hang- hanging off my arm. Oh, no. Like his teeth. How old were you? Fifteen or something. I don't know. Is, is, is this why? Is this so why? About you... the time I was reading of Mice and Men, and I was like, "If only I had a gun with me." <laughs> <laughs> so is that the root cause of your subsequent antipathy towards dogs? No, I just generally don't like them. Oh, okay. I don't really see what what the attraction is. The attraction of dogs is that they're loyal and they're friendly, and they they're, they're disgusting. I think cats are disgusting. Cats are loyal and friendly, but they keep themselves clean. How are cats loyal or friendly? They're the opposite of those things. Cats they're... have favourite people. The people who feed them. They are favourite servants. Yeah, sure. My favourite, it probably isn't true, but my favourite fact I've read on the internet about cats is that they always think that they own the home that they live in and that you're just the person who stays with them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Whereas dogs, they're like, you're the master. I think you can tell a lot about a person whether they prefer a cat or a dog. I think it probably speaks a lot to their kind of general attitude towards but the world. But dogs are just always there. Whether you want them there or not, they're always like, play with me, play with me, you need to give me attention right now, no mm. matter what. True. Like, you might want to just hang around and do nothing all day. Mm-hmm. Well, cats are already there. Yeah, <laughs> cats are right there with you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you make a good point. I, I'm, all I'm saying is I could have I could have st- standards to see a few more cats get shot in this film. At least just for balance, you know. Okay, well, we're going off on one here. We are, we are slightly going off the rails, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, so obviously, uh, Sherilyn Fern's character is married to a guy called Curly, who seems like a real asshole. Mm. I like him because he's just such a dickhead. He is. There's no redeeming features whatsoever mm. to Curly. He's the best kind of horror villain as well because he's like a wimp. Yeah. Like he thinks he's hard, but he's actually super wimpy. Well, I don't think he is. Well, he gets. If, if, if somebody can grab your fist and crush it so much that the bones shatter and blood comes okay, out, okay, sure. Yeah. It's not really a wimpy thing to be like, ow. No, that's true. Okay, fair. <laughs> but it is nice to see him brought down a, little, a peg or two. Yeah. Yes. Even though that scene again was gross. And... Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, this film did a lot. That was the high point in the film. Yeah, it, it was. It was satisfying, but was, I, I kind of did watch it through my fingers a little bit because mm. I couldn't remember how violent it got. I didn't know it was going to have like a horrible close-up of like the bones sticking out of the hand or something, which thankfully it did not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this. I guess this is why it's popular for classrooms because this film manages to suggest a lot of violence without really showing a lot of violence. Yeah, because you don't really see any of the animals get killed. You just see the aftermath. Yeah, and like when Lenny gets shot in the back of the head. It just it's kind of pulled away, yeah. You don't see it, his brain. It pulled away and he falls down. There's, there's literally no blood at yeah. all. Yeah, I mean... If, there's not even like a little bit of blood just on the back of his head or something. Yeah. There's nothing. Mm. Which really, it should have been like a full explosion through the front of the face. Yeah, exactly. If, if you shot someone at point blank range with a shotgun, their heads would explode. Like, so, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it didn't make that decision. But, but it's, it's another way the film could have been better. By being hyper-violent. <laughs> yeah. Tarantino <laughs> made this. True. Now that would be a good thing to show in high schools. Well, I think that's probably, if, if it gets remade probably again... Probably the that's increased probably... use of the N-word. Yes, it would, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just dial everything up to 11. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. If you were going to remake it, I mean, obviously you've got a sequel going, but if you have someone direct it, Tarantino? Mm, yeah, It'd maybe. be different for him. Well, yeah. 
Maybe that could be his tenth and final film. Could be, yeah. Just end end on a classic. You know. <laughs> Get him, Lenny! Get him! Yes, let's go some drinking games. Cool. Okay. Well, my first one is drink for denim. Drink. I put that down too. There's so much <laughs> denim in this film. <laughs> Pretty sure Lenny was wearing triple denim throughout. He was. He was rocking the denim cap and the denim dungarees and the denim denim shirt. Mm. Yeah, a lot, a lot of denim in this film. <laughs> so yeah, drink for denim. Yeah. There was no wig watch in this, but I thought, yeah, there is a lot of denim, so I might sometimes substitute wig watch for denim watch or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm so glad you picked up on that too. <laughs> Okay, uh, I had another obvious one, which is drink for dead animals, or okay. references to dead animals. Certainly, there's only three on there. There's the mouse, there's the puppy, there's the... The big dog, yeah. The, do- the dog. We'll take a big drink, then. It's upsetting. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, fortify yourself. Fine, okay. Next one is drink for any word in the script that you don't understand. Okay, such as? Such as near the start when Lenny's got the mouse and he's not going to throw it away, and George is like, do I have to come over there and sock you? Just like... Oh. What does that mean? I mean, I get that it means hit, but... you never heard that what? phrase before? Nope. Sock you? Nope. In school, we all laughed because it sounded like suck. Well, it, it is the same word, sock. S- suck as in, like, to suck something. Oh! To suck a lollipop. When or, you say... Or, or, okay, or you, you say suck to sound like sock. Mm. So, yeah, maybe in your weird hillbilly accent, but... <laughs> most people, it sounds quite different, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's weird. I never thought of that. I mean, it's it's kind of an old old timey phrase, but I've heard it before. I'll suck you one, you know. No. Nope. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there is a lot of you know, oldie worldy language in this. Mm-hmm. It being a period film, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Drink for rabbits. Again, references to every sure. time. Every time he says, you know, will there be rabbits? Yep. Solid. Mm-hmm. Drink for poorly written minority characters is screen time. Yeah. <laughs> Just waterfall through that one scene with the black guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that felt Curly's wife. Oh, okay, minority including women. Yeah, mm. okay. I don't think she was poorly written. I mean, she was. She was. She didn't have a name. Okay, yeah, she was underwritten. <laughs> but I don't think you know. It's not. It's not about her. The story. It's not her story. But the film's not about the black guy story either. But actually, you're probably right. You're probably. Right. They're probably both slightly stereotyped in the sense that she's this like sexual threat, mm-hmm. and she's just a vet, just very flirty and kind mm-hmm. of like shallow, and he is very, very, very broadly stereotyped. You know. It definitely had drew some broad strokes with the women and the mm-hmm. ethnic minorities in the film. That's mm-hmm. fair. Was there more than one woman? Okay, the, the woman and the ethnic minority. So okay. yes, the one of each, they had one of each, yes. <laughs> Both pretty broad strokes. That's why I'd like to clarify I can call a woman a minority in this, if there's only one woman. In the sense that she's the minority in the film. Okay, yeah. great, sure. That, that makes sense, yeah. yeah. Maybe I'm slightly, um, I was primed to like that character more than she deserved to be because I'm a big fan of Twin Peaks, the TV show, and I mm-hmm. consequently love seeing Sherilyn Fenn in anything. Mm-hmm. You probably have no idea who she is. No. But uh, yeah. She's also in, I made you watch Wild at Heart. Do you remember that film? No. No? We watched it one time. Not for the podcast. Maybe we will at some point in the future. What was it about? Nicolas Cage, Laura Dern, lots of Wizard of Oz references, David Lynch, Surreal, on, on the Road Together. He's really into Elvis. He's got his leather jacket. It's quite violent. No. No memory whatsoever? No, any bells. Well, we're going to watch that again sometime. Ugh. <laughs> I hate films with Wizard of Oz references. There's so many. It, it, it's got very boring now. It's a pretty heavy-handed one. It's uh, like, oh, the whole film was actually The Wizard of Oz all along, but you didn't quite realise until the end. Ugh. <laughs> oh, no, you, you'll realise pretty quickly. Right? Anyway, she played the Scarecrow. Great. Yes. 
Spoiler alert. Okay, so my next one was, Drinker in this film kind of reminds you of Brokeback Mountain. In what sense? In the sense that, eh, you can read a lot into that relationship. <laughs> mm, sure. Yeah. That's what I mean when I was like, friends question mark like, right what, what is their enough, yeah. what is their relationship like yeah 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 and especially at the beginning there's just lots of them you know it's very very similar to the scenes of Brookback Mountain when they are out on the range and they're cooking beans together and talking about the future and stuff and because mm-hmm. all the stuff about oh we're gonna have a farm together and I'm sure it's a, probably a deliberate homage that Brookback Mountain made but mm. you know Jake Gyllenhaal's character in that is very much like the Gary Sinise character when he's like you know we could get a farm together we could raise you know mm. yeah, raise yeah, I suppose. yeah people keep referencing how weird it is the two guys travel together mm. and they're like it's not weird but then there's lots of like lies and deception where he's like George says Lenny is his cousin who got hit on the head as a child mm-hmm. and then Lenny's like I ain't your cousin I never got hit on the head when I was no child and it's like he's like yeah, yeah but say that it makes things easier like it just seems like there might be something a little you know also like I mean obviously Lenny one of the things is I'm not saying they're gay because Lenny obviously is on some level very attracted to women because that's mm-hmm. what causes him all of his problems you know Yeah. Uh, but George is like Utterly uninterested in Curly's wife. Mm-hmm. Could not be less attracted to her. He just seems to view women as a bit of a threat. Like mm-hmm. he seems like he just need, like he's got his Lenny, and that's all that makes him happy. He just likes hanging out with Lenny. Yeah, and it's very sweet. But uh, no, I just there were a few times when I was kind of like, is this going to go a bit broke back mountain? I know it wasn't. Fair enough. Yeah. I knew it wasn't going to, but it's like, hmm. Well, I, w- I wasn't kicked in the head with no horse, George. A damn good thing if you was. It saved everybody a hell of a lot of trouble. You, you said I was your cousin. Uh, well, that was a lie. If I was a relative of yours, I'd shoot myself. Okay, so shall we talk a little bit about Patreon? Seamless. Well, that's what editing's for, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so, Patreon, we're there. Um, if you would like to support the show, if you're a fan, then we'd be very, very appreciati- appreciative. Appreciative? Uh-huh. Yeah, that, yeah, that'll do. Very appreciative. Yes. If you do, we have uh, we have some bonus content on there for you. So every now and then we release a film review of a film that's currently in cinema. Yeah. Um, I don't know what our latest one is. I think it might be Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider we released this week and hope maybe Ready Player One will be out soon after this. Yeah. If, if we catch it. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yes, and also every month we will do a free advert slot for you. So it's a 30 second ad slot for anything you want to promote. It could be your own podcast. It could be a friend's podcast it could be anything that you want it doesn't have to be a podcast it can be a fridge yeah if you want to do an advert about a fridge yeah anything you like we'll plug it we're within reason yeah. mm, yes yeah. we've already had a few of our lovely patreon subscribers have sent us some promo slots and we're going to play one of those right now we know you love box sets and the area outside of them. Do you ever wonder what people see in artists like Garth Brooks and Insane Clown Posse? There's a lot of hidden value in this music, and we want to understand why people are so dedicated to these artists. We're Think Outside the Box Set, and we almost accidentally stole the name of Beyond the Box Set. Join me, Cameron DeWitt. And me, Nathan Hunt. As we listen to artists that many people dismiss, maybe for good reason. Check out boxset.website. Or your preferred podcatcher. You've tried the best, now try the rest. Great. What else do we offer? Every month. Also, we have one Patreon come on as a guest on the show. Yes. And our last one was... Was Julio from the Contrarians podcast. We discussed uh, That Thing You Do. It was our last episode. It was great fun. Yeah, it's always a good time. We love having them on. And uh, it's often a lot of fun. So, yeah. Stay tuned for more of those. And if you'd like to be one of them, get on board. Yeah. And finally, uh, the, the last thing that we do is 
If you like, you can send us your name and some details, and we will make you a character in one of our sequels. Yes. Still waiting for someone to pick up on that one. Yeah. No I'd, one I'd really like to do that. Yeah, no one has yet. I don't know why. It's so easy. Yeah. There's, no, there's no commitment to it or anything. Yeah. It could be a made-up name. It doesn't need to be your name. True. I think that might be why. It might be a bit of a security issue. <laughs> sure. Personal sure. security. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so that's patreon.com slash set. And it's a pay-as-you-feel tiered system, which that's means you right. can pay as much or as little as you like monthly, and you get the same access to all the same bonus features regardless. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you want to pay a bit more, we wouldn't send it down. You know. Anything between $2 and 15000 which is apparently the limit on Patreon for some reason. Still haven't got our first $15,000 subscriber, but no. I live in hope. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be a good day when that when that email comes through. Yeah, we'll come and <laughs> shake your hand in person, wherever you are in the world. Yeah, I'll shake anything if it feels that much of a right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, and on, on that note... On that good... Right, what have you got this week then? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. So, okay. This was really hard to do a sequel to because it's like, it's a classic novel. How do you write a sequel to one of the greatest stories ever told? Do you know what I mean? It's So I decided not to. End well, of podcast. I, I, I don't know. We haven't done that episode yet. <laughs> you know, what, what, is a, what is considered a, a classic canon kind of story. Mm-hmm, you know? Sure. So yeah, I've not done a sequel in the traditional sense this week. I've gone on something a little bit more abstract. So this is called Of Mice... And Ben. Of Mice and Ben. Yes. Um, I have no idea what you're going to do with this. Any guesses before I start? Um, like Ben 10 or something? I don't know. I'm just trying to think of Bens in pop culture. There's not many. No, not Ben 10. Okay, well, get comfortable and yeah. I will spin you a tale. So, we open in LA, Hollywood. The year is 2017. Ben Affleck. Oh, I think of Ben Mendelsohn. Why would you go from Ben 10 to Ben Mendelsohn and then land at Ben Affleck? I don't know. Well, that kind of fits with what I'm going for here, but that is damning. That is damning. Yeah, um, there's going to be loads of Bens. I'll wait and see. So, yes. No, actually, no. It's, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. So, so, it's 2017 LA. Ben Affleck, the actor, director, is reading a trade paper and the headline screams, Justice League bombs at the box office. <laughs> Subheading, is it time for Affleck to hand over the Batsuit? So this is reflecting on real life events in the past year or so when mm-hmm. he's co-starred in the disastrously received Justice League movie. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be Ben Affleck playing himself. The point: This is going to be Ben Affleck kind of making fun of himself a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he'd be up for it. I think the time's right for this kind of role for him. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay, come we'll on. see, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ben, call me. So he puts his head in his hands and it's the epitome of sad Affleck. You know, that, that meme that went around, sad mm-hmm. Ben Affleck. So, over the sound of Simon and Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence, mm-hmm. we then see the opening credit montage of all of Ben Affleck's real-life recent PR disasters. So, there's Batman versus Superman, there's Justice League, there's The Accountant, remember that? Oh, that yeah. terrible film, The Accountant, that we yeah. saw in Amsterdam. Yeah. Um, there is Live By Night, which I didn't see, which by all accounts was equally yeah. terrible. Uh, his divorce from Jennifer Garner, that awful back tattoo he's got recently that everyone's making fun of. So it's just montaging Ben Affleck's terrible couple of years in, in his career recently. Mm-hmm. And then end of credits, we cut to a scene in his agent's office. And the agent can be played by someone, agency like Paul Giamatti or something. It doesn't matter. True. But I'm thinking he'd be good. And Ben is saying to his agent, look, I just don't understand it. It feels like I just can't catch a break at the moment. Everything I do goes wrong. Mm-hmm. And his agent says, look, the fact is, right now, you, Ben Affleck, are box office poison. The studio doesn't want to risk another $100 million blockbuster on you. The critics are tearing everything you do to shreds. We need you to do some damage control now and like rebuild your reputation a little bit. So, no more superhero stuff. No more big action movies. Just go back to basics. Let's remind people of the Ben Affleck who made films like Argo and Gone Baby Gone, you know. 
So why don't you go away and think about maybe a smaller project you want to do, something a bit more artistic, a bit respectable, that might get you another Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see if we can get that off the ground. Yeah. And so we see Ben then look into the middle distance and we fade into a dreamy flashback of Ben Affleck's teenage years in the late 80s. He's going to have big hair and terrible clothes. Uh, and he's going to be sitting in a sun-dappled field, blissfully reading a well-worn copy of Of Mice and Men by the Riverside or something. Mm-hmm. And then maybe teenage Matt Damon's going to run over and be trying be like, hey, come, we're going to go smoke pot. And he'll be like, no, you go ahead. I'm fine right here. He's going to continue reading his book. Because it turns out Ben Affleck was a sensitive artistic one all along. Mm-hmm. Everyone assumed it was Matt Damon, but no, Ben Affleck was actually the brains of the whole bunch okay, sure. in this story. Um, we don't in real life yeah. <laughs> that's your disclaimer that. in this story in this story Ben Affleck's the smart one <laughs> so we cut back and Ben tells his agent I think I know exactly what I want to do and so what he's decided obviously is to direct a new adaptation of Of Mice and Men mm-hmm. because it's been 26 years since the Gary Sinise one and it feels like the perfect passion project to kind of you know restore his credibility just take a classic novel and do a respectful telling of it you know, it doesn't have to be a huge budget. It'll, rather than like a hundred million blockbuster, you can do it for like 20, 30 million. Mm-hmm. You know, just something nice, respectable. Who, who could possibly object to that? So for the first half of the movie, we're going to see him kind of going door to door with the studios, trying to get this project greenlit. And a lot of studio execs, they're not sure. They're worried the story might be a little bit dated. It's been done already. How are they going to market it, etc. Mm-hmm. Just kind of making a comment on the fact that these kind of films don't really get made anymore. But he's very persistent. And eventually one of the major studios does agree to give him a modest budget so maybe 20, 30, 40 million, to produce the film. But because of his recent run of flops, they also employ a focus group of millennials to oversee the production. There's going to be like a focus group of people in their like early 20s okay. who are very hipsterish, who are basically going to be on set making notes and making suggestions on behalf of the studio to make sure the project stays commercial. Yeah. So the initial plan suggested by the studio is that they reunite Affleck and Damon, mm. the classic duo, as George and Lenny, because that's going to be really marketable. Okay, so. yeah. So Ben wants to play the noble, less risky role of George. He doesn't. He doesn't want to go and do a whole, you know, Lenny routine because he feels like, you know, that's that's dangerous. Matt, Matt can handle that. I'm not. I'm not pretending to have mental health problems because. Sure, yeah. good reasons. I definitely cast him the other way around. Yeah, same. But yeah. <laughs> <we'll> get, <laughs> yeah. Ben is playing it safe. He's like, no, I'm going to play George. He's the noble hero. It's mm-hmm. very hard to get wrong. So yeah, and Matt agrees to play Lenny. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because as we know, Matt Damon's career also hasn't exactly been upsy upsy recently. You know, he's had Suburbicon, he's had Downsizing. Downsizing was good. It was good, but it bombed. Did it? No. Yeah. It didn't get great reviews. I know we liked it, but mm. yeah, I think we were in the minority with that one. His career's not going Ben Affleck bad, but it's been a while since he's had like a massive hit. Mm. So yeah, he's also, you know, not having the best couple of years. So he sees the opportunity to play a person with mental difficulties or disabilities as his best opportunity to finally win that Best Actor Oscar, which now that Leo's won it, I think he's the next, he's the person who's most waiting for it. He hasn't had one yet. He's one of those, you know, definitely in the top five. Do you think? He's never won one. He's yeah, pretty, yeah, I, pretty I get that, but... Really? I, feel, I, I, don't, I don't feel like he wants it as badly as Leo wanted it, mm. but I feel like he's definitely in the upper echelon of people who, in Hollywood who... But he's not trying hard enough. True, yeah, he could, he could try hard absolute enough. certain. But, you know, he, he probably thought Suburbicon and Downsizing were going to be good roles when he took them. You know? Yeah, but, like, you never catch Leo taking films like that. True, 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 yeah. He's like, if I'm not suffering, then I'm not playing the part. Mm. <laughs> so Matt gets a sniff of an Oscar big time with this role, Consequently, he goes full method and he refuses to drop out of character at all on set. So he's constantly being the character of Lenny the whole time, much to everyone's annoyance. Like he's annoying everyone on set because he never drops character. So again, this is going to be Matt Damon like making fun of himself as this kind of like very serious method actor. Mm-hmm. But also to make matters worse, his performance is super, super hammy. Like he thinks he's being really like Daniel Day-Lewis, but actually it's it's just cringy and embarrassing and probably a bit offensive. It's mm-hmm. like, oh God, no. 
So the next big conflict comes when it comes to casting the role of Curly's wife, the Sherilyn Fenrell. Mm-hmm. So Ben wants to cast a really respected performer, like someone like Jessica Chastain or Natalie Portman, who can really, you know, give it the gravitas that it deserves. But the studio worries that now the cast's trending a little bit old. You know, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are both in their late 40s. Mm-hmm. Jessica Chastain, I think, is 41, 42. They're like, like, no, no. We need someone who can bring in the teen demographic. If this movie's going to make money, yeah. we need to bring in someone young. So despite Ben's protestations and complaints, they insist on casting pop sensation Selena Gomez. Oh, no. Do you know who she is? Uh, I've, got, I've, got a, I've got an idea in my head. Yeah. That's grim, all right. Yeah. Selena Gomez is not good. Really? I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not making any judgment. I've not seen any of her films. I've not seen the High School Musical trilogy. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But in this version, like, again, she's making fun of herself if we imagine this to be a real thing. Sure, sure. She's not a good actress and it's not working. And this quickly leads to another problem that watching a 47 year old Matt Damon lusting after a 25 year old Selena Gomez is just far too creepy and unsettling. Yeah, that was my first yeah, thought. <laughs> it's not fun to watch. Yeah. So, added to the fact that his performance is really, really going off the rails and not working, mm-hmm. the focus group forces Ben to fire Matt, mm-hmm. which obviously he's not, he does not take well, because mm. now Ben Affleck is having to fire his best friend, mm-hmm. you know, so we're going to have, obviously going to have probably a really funny scene of Ben having to like, Matt, sit down, I've got some bad news, and you know, Matt taking it terribly, and you know, having a big fight, so yeah, yeah. that happens. Anyway, this means, you know, once Matt has finally been got rid of, this means that several weeks of shooting have already been wasted, because they've already started filming the film, mm-hmm, and yeah. now they're about to fire one of the lead actors. Yeah. So now the studio's getting even more nervous, and they're like they're taking even more control away from Ben and, t- and pushing it in their own direction. So they force him to replace Matt Damon with someone, obviously somebody younger, someone who might be better against, who might make more sense cast alongside Selena Gomez. As I Ken. thought you were going to say, and they're going to make Ben Affleck play both parts. No, 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 no. That, that would have been an interesting <laughs> twist, but no. The idea is they don't, they can't have a forty-seven-year-old against mm-hmm. Selena Gomez. So like, who who would make sense to cast opposite Selena Gomez in this mm-hmm. movie? So the obvious answer is Justin Bieber. Sure, sure. Who actually dated Selena Gomez for some several years, I believe. Okay, cool. I'm up on my celebrity gossip. Yes, yeah, weird enough. I think that you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I don't even know who Jennifer Garner is. You do, right? No. Nope. Ben Affleck's ex-wife. Yeah, I got that from. What would you have seen her in? She played Electra in the Electra movie and in the original Daredevil movie. Oh, come on. I'm, I'm speaking your language here. <laughs> you know her face. She's one of those. Sure. Anyway, I'll show you a picture later. Anyway, it doesn't matter. she's not relevant I, to this. I can't wait. Aside from the fact that she's Ben Affleck's ex-wife. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. So they cast <laughs> Justin Bieber is now playing the role of Lenny, mm-hmm. which in itself is obviously, you know, pretty funny. Yep. Well, it was when I was writing this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need your pity. <laughs> so yeah, because Justin Bieber and Selena Gomez used to be a real-life couple, the studio thinks reuniting them on the big screen could be a huge box office success. Mm-hmm. So Justin Bieber is predictably a total nightmare. Yeah. Again, he's, you know, he's playing up to his stereotype of being you know, a brat and being you know, mm-hmm. really high maintenance and stuff. Yeah. And he does not want to play somebody who has mental difficulties. So the studio tells Ben that actually they want to kind of tone down that element of the story. Mm-hmm. And make Lenny just a gentle young farmhand who just dreams of being a, a singer. And so Ben is now exasperated. He's like, Lenny's mental difficulties are the whole story. That's the whole point of the film. How does my relationship with him even make sense if he's 20 years younger than me and he's a totally sound mind? <laughs> <laughs> so the studio has now brought in a new batch of writers to revamp the film in this new direction they want to go in. Uh, this new batch of writers are all in their early 20s and their previous credits include Two Broke Girls and the Despicable Me franchise. <laughs> <laughs> and they polish up the script a little bit. Okay. 
they decide. Are these, are these writers the the cast of the writing room from Thirty Rock? I'm thinking that's basically where we're going with this, yeah. yeah Except yeah. younger, yeah. Right. Sure. No, I think the more young, oh, yeah, they're, yeah. They, they were more nerds. I'm thinking more like young millennial kind of hipster kind of writers, like, okay. yeah, who've never read a book, you know. Mm-hmm. That's the joke. So they decide to change the relationship between George and Lenny to turn Ben Affleck's George character from the best friend who might be in love with him to Justin Bieber's crotchety old uncle who took care of him after his parents died. So this means he's gone from being the star to basically being a supporting character who's only in a couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. And the romance between Lenny and Curly's wife is now the central plot of the film. Mm. So this has gone a long way from, you know, by this point, Ben's totally lost control of the project. Yeah. This is barely even recognisable as of mice and men anymore. Like, it's so gone off the rails. Mm-hmm. But the studio has him in an ironclad contract and his agent advises him that, look, the only way to get out of this is to do what they say, just pray that somehow the movie is a success. Because mm-hmm. if, you if you quit, you're going to get sued for millions. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he reluctantly continues filming this sanitised bastardization of what used to be of Mice and Men, mm-hmm. the classic novel. And once this has happened, the changes now come thick and fast. So the next thing that, that the studio notes decide is that the plantation era farm setting is a little bit too controversial. It's a bit of a hot button. Mm-hmm. So they change it to a modern day high school instead. Okay, yeah. Uh, also, Selena demands that she gets a musical number because that's her whole thing, causing Bieber to retaliate by demanding that he gets at least three musical numbers for everyone she gets. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's a musical now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now it's gone from being of mice and men to a high, a, high, a high school musical. <laughs> and it all culminates in a big song and dance number at the prom. The, the song is written and produced by David Guetta, mm-hmm. the French DJ. And it's called Ten My Rabbit Bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ben's filming this horrible scene of this dreadful song in this utter bastardization of his passion project. Mm-hmm. And he just has a moment of complete realisation of how far he's gone once again. He just wanted to do something that was creative and artistic. And just like Justice League, it's just all gone wrong behind the scenes. And it's, he just has a moment of utter depression. So he has a massive kind of tantrum, shuts down the set for the day and storms off. And goes. he's like, he's like I need a drink. So he storms off and into his favourite LA bar, basically, to mm-hmm. just get blasted. Yeah. He walks into the bar and who should he see? Sat at the bar looking very dishevelled, but Matt Damon. Mm-hmm who hasn't reacted well at all to being fired from this project mm-hmm. and has been on a bender for several days as it happens. Right. So he's not in a good place at all. And so obviously Damon immediately spots him and squares up. He's like, you, we won an Oscar together for Goodwill Hunting and now you've fired me. How could you fire me? I'm your best friend. You know, It's a real com- drunken confrontation. And Ben tries to cool him down, but he's also really wound up. And in the end, he snaps and they get into a vicious kind of fist fight. They're just mm-hmm. all that rage together. And they end up falling out of the bar, outside onto the streets, still still fighting, just rolling around on the sidewalk. So obviously, paparazzi spot them immediately. Sw- like, imagine if suddenly <laughs> Ben Affleck and Matt Damon were having a full-on fist fight in public. Like, mm-hmm. the paparazzi are like, oh my God, mm-hmm. the, this is a dream. So they're like surrounded and taking pictures. It's all very humiliating, but they're still fighting and punching and fighting and punching. Mm-hmm. And eventually, Ben manages to land a blow straight to Max. He socks him in the jaw, as George would say. <laughs> and Matt Damon staggers backwards into the busy highway and just then a truck comes speeding down the road and Ben sees this he sees the truck about to like mow down his best friend Mm -hmm. and he snaps immediately into superhero mode and he leaps into the oncoming traffic total Batman Mm styley, and shoves his best friend out of the path of traffic into safety and the last thing we hear is a screech of tyres and it cuts to black Sometime later. Just, that's not no, just looking at your phone and how much text is left on this. We are get, we're getting to the end. We're getting to the end. Yeah. No, no, no. That's just like, wait, was that the end? Was that it? Oh, yeah. Oh, no, and no, he's dead. Not. End of film. Um, <laughs> sometime later, we see Ben come to in a hospital bedroom. Uh-huh. And we hear the doctors saying to somebody, your friend has suffered severe head trauma. We're afraid he may never be the same. 
And uh, then we see Matt Damon sitting at his bedside. He's like, hey, buddy, how are you feeling? <laughs> and uh, Ben's like, where am I? Who am I? <laughs> and Matt says, look, you had an accident, but it's going to be okay because I'm your best friend and I'm going to take care of you because mm-hmm. you saved my life. Yeah. We're going to go away together, you and me. We're going get, to get a little place in the countryside far away from Hollywood. And you've got me and I've got you and I'm going to help you to recover. And Ben looks, at, looks him in the eyes with love and hope and says, will there be rabbits? And then, boom, credits roll. <laughs> and that was the end of, of Mice and Ben. All right, well, that was something. <laughs> Thoughts? Good. I, I'd watch that. Yeah, I think it'd be fun. Like, you know, it's all about them making fun of their own, you know, corrupt personas, I guess, mm-hmm. at the point, so... It's a shame that we've done the exact same thing. Oh, really? No. Okay. <laughs> I've done that. I mean, just like, <laughs> that would be, yeah, that'd be quite, of all the weeks, so yeah. With someday, we're going to have us a little house and a couple of acres. And the cow and the pig. Pig and chicken. And chicken. We're going to live off the padded land and, and have rabbits. And have rabbits. Okay, so I had a difficult time with this as well. Sure. It's not really an easy film to make a sequel to. It's not. Well, you chose it. Yep. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> so, well, I'm, I'm glad that you didn't do this, but I went with a prequel. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's called Of Mice and Boys. Of Mice and Boys. Okay. Sounds... Yeah, the obvious prequel name. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So it's set in the same time period? Vaguely. 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, sure. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Oh, sorry. I've been saying the whole film is set in the 1910s. The film is set in the 1930s. Mindset in the 1910s. Right, okay, sure. That's it. So, yeah, they're all sort of teenagers in this. Okay. In high school. High school. Little similarities here. Uh, okay, I see. Okay, cool. Is is it going to be Justin Bieber? I'll, I'll go with a more serious film. Okay. So, I've cast serious people. Okay. So, I started off with Lucas Hedges. I know we cast him in everything, but I even looked up, like, male actors around around his age. He's the only person who's, who's actually been heard of, other than Timothy Chalamet, who is just not going to be George. Well, I was thinking that, I thought that might be the two, like then Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet as George and Lenny. No? Nah. Okay, cool. Fine. So he's so, George. Tim- Lucas Luke, Hedges is George. Lucas Hedges is playing 17-year-old George. Cool. Okay. Um, we start off with a few little scenes of him celebrating Christmas with his parents. Sure. Parents played by John Travolta and Livy Newton-John. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't wait to see where this is going. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat serious, let's say. Somewhat. Okay. I feel like putting Travolta in a period film now is going to be tricky because much like Cher, he doesn't have the face of a human. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, very fair. You know what I mean? Like there was a point like Cher is a great actress. She's won an Oscar, but one of her last serious films was called Tiwi Mussolini and it was set mm. in the 1940s and she's good in it, but it's weird because she's playing a, like a woman in the 1940s and she has obviously a very plasticated face. <laughs> John Travolta looks like he's been built with a 3D printer. Yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> that is a great description of John Travolta. <laughs> Yeah, it's very odd. I yeah. don't know what's happened to him. Yeah. But, well, that's, it's, that's yeah. it. No idea what Liv and Newton-John's up to these days. You might know. She's doing okay. You know, she's touring. She, 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 I think she could pull it off. She's a good actress. She mm-hmm. hasn't had too much face work done. Mm-hmm. Not them plastic surgery shaming. It's your own body. You can do what you like with it. But Sounds like you were. Only if you then think you can then be realistic in a period piece. Ah. So she, he couldn't. She could. Mm-hmm. Fine. Continue. I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Are they going to sing? Uh, no, there's, there's no sing- there's no singing in this. Why would you reunite John Travolta and Olivia <laughs> and John and not have them sing? Just to tease. Oh, go on. 
So they own a small farm somewhere in South USA. No idea. Sure. <laughs> the state of South USA. Just keep it general. Yes. They're struggling for money, so George has to spend pretty much all his free time working on the farm. Okay. So he doesn't really have many friends. Sure. Slash any friends. Oh. So cut to the first day back to school after Christmas break. And uh, George is just driving. He's very excited to get back because he's a bit of a nerd. Okay. Goes to his first lesson. Le- lesson. Which Have you is... developed a bit of a lisp this week? What's going on? He goes to his first lesson, which is maths. Okay. Just getting my words mixed up. Okay, sure. The teacher is Brian Cranston. Sure. Is he selling like nineteen tens meth <laughs> on the side? Yeah, is he sure. selling opium? Selling opium to the kids <laughs> on the side? Yeah. <laughs> There's a side story I want to see. Yeah. <laughs> um, he welcomes them all back to the new school year and then starts starts lesson. He's talking about what they're going to cover this year and what maths is or whatever. Yeah, don't don't know. Okay. And someone knocks on the door and walks in without waiting for a response. It is very tall, very muscly, very overly confident Zac Efron. Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, Mr. Williams looks up at him. Oh, I gave that guy a name. Mr. Williams looks up at him. Is it relevant? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I appreciate, Not even slightly. I appreciate the detail. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> feel like everybody's got a name, but it's like part of a name. Like they'll have the first name or yeah. something. Except poor Curly's wife. Is the one woman in this who has no name? Well, it's been living Newton John so far. Sure, yeah. Oh, you didn't name her. That's right. Yeah, sexist. There's nobody else. No. Okay. Well, it's true to the original, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So Mr. Williams looks up at him, checking him out a little, and says, "Hi, who are you then?" He says, "Oh, hi, sir. My name's Leonard Small." Small, hey? That doesn't seem right. He said with a wink to the class, hopefully referring to his height. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if Brian Cranston was playing this really predatory, creepy gay teacher. <laughs> That's all I'd like to see. <laughs> I reckon he'd be quite fun with it. Yeah. So sit down there next to George. And then George says, Hi, Leonard, I'm George. I'm holding out his hand. And Leonard says, Hi, George. Pleasure to make your acquaintance. There's an instant connection between them. They spend all break time hanging out. And George is a little impressed that Leonard smokes already. And he's so cool, he wears his baseball cap all the way around. Wow. Did they have baseball caps in 1910? There's probably a lot of things here that are not in 1910. Okay, so a few anachronisms <laughs> here and there, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> For all I know, high school wasn't in 1910. I was thinking, what would a high school look like? It'd probably be more like a, you know... I don't feel like those guys got secondary education. <laughs> but let's go with it. Mm-hmm. I'm in. I'm on board. Continue. Yeah. They don't have the next lesson together, and so don't see each other until lunch. When Leonard comes out, um, he's made friends with a group of jocks who also smoke with their baseball caps all the way around. Okay. But these are George's bullies. Okay. So George is pretty upset about this, that his new best friend has now made good friends with group of people who bully him all the time oh no so after school he goes back home and while working out in the field he talks everything through with his dad and his dad gives him the advice of like son this is trying to seeing yeah i'm already picturing it <laughs> <laughs> son this is the time in life where you're going to find something or someone that you want to pursue if you know for certain that's what you want then don't give up at the first hurdle ah uh, this is sounding familiar to me this is where i'm going oh yay <laughs> <laughs> Also, John Travolta saying those lines? Yes, yeah, that would definitely be somewhat meaningful. So if people <laughs> haven't picked it up, this is the beautiful speech from the end of the film, Call Me By Your Name, in which Michael Stuhlbarg, yeah, his son, is, Timothy Chalamet, has fallen in love with Army Hammer, mm-hmm. obviously in that film, and his dad is very accepting of it and says, you know, if you love someone, you should pursue it. And maybe I'm a little bit gay too. <laughs> That's the short version of that beautiful speech. <laughs> <laughs> So the next day, George goes into school and gets friendly with Leonard. Okay. The days and the weeks go by, and as, as I'm known for, we do we have a montage. Great, cool. Montage of them becoming bigger and bigger friends, by the end of which George now calls him Lenny. Mm-hmm. And Lenny is still friends with the jocks, but 
friends with George as well on the side. Is it like secret friends or? Yeah. Oh, okay. Secret friends. Sure. <laughs> like you and me. <laughs> you never acknowledge me in public. <laughs> outside this podcast, you cut me dead. But... It's early summer now and uh, Lenny is hosting a party at his house for the weekend. Lenny's house is situated on someone else's farm, but he lives with his dad who tonight is at work. Um, he's there pulling an all night shift. Sure. So, this is where Lenny gets his obsession for small animals. Oh, I see. Okay. Thought it's all out. Party is great fun, and all the people are dancing to uh, the latest hit sensation on the radio, which is actually a little cameo appearance from Ed Sheeran. Oh, God, no. Why? <laughs> what, has he written a theme tune? Maybe. Oh, God. Again, did they have radios in 1910? I'm pretty sure they did. Okay, fine. I'll go with it. I have no idea, though. Okay. Whatever. This is why I'm awful at pub quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything. So Ed Sheeran, is he appearing in the film as like a, or is it just his, his song is going to play on the radio? It's not even his song. It's like he's doing a, a song in the style of 1910s music. Or oh, whatever. sure. Okay. Like pick a bale of cotton or something. I, I have no idea. Sure. Okay. I don't know anything about anything, John. <laughs> Surely you've got that from, by now. <laughs> that's why you're such a good podcast partner. <laughs> George follows Lenny around everywhere at the party, hiding a bit whenever Lenny talks to the jocks. After a few drinks, everybody's getting a bit merry and loose. George takes Lenny by the hand and leads him to the kitchen where nobody is, and they immediately start making out and stuff. Ooh, hot. After a while, Lenny hears someone coming down the hall, and just before they walk in the door and see them, he jumps away from George. It's one of the jocks who walks through the door. So the jock looks at them both, confused about everybody's body language. Lenny blurts out, No, George, I don't want to go and play with the rabbits. Get away from me. <laughs> wow. Good cover, Lenny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lenny high fives the jock and walks out of the room without looking back. <laughs> so I'm just imagining how that scene will play. No, I don't want to play the rabbits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> George, obviously feeling terrible about the way that Lenny has just treated him, runs home to his parents, telling them everything. And they support him and tell him that things will get better and there's other fish in the sea and stuff. Oh, these are very accepting for 1910 parents. Like, I thought it'd be nice. It's lovely. But- yeah, I appreciate it. But yeah. yeah. Again, another thing that I've probably got wrong about the 1910s, but we'll see. I don't think it was particularly common, but yeah. So time goes by, school's starting to draw to a close, and homecoming is coming up as soon as exams are done. Okay. So this is one of those stories that concludes with homecoming. Great. As all great teen movies do. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. George goes to homecoming by himself, with the hope of leaving with someone, but mm, whatever. He's not really expecting much. Sure. Lenny is there hanging out with his gang. They all have well-fitting matching suits, but George is just borrowing his dad's suit. Mm-hmm. So, despite being apart and not having spoken or even seen each other in weeks, while well, the exams and whatever are happening, Lenny and George can't keep their eyes off each other. After a while, Lenny goes over to George, grabs him by the hand, takes him into a stationary closet somewhere, and the camera does not pan away. Oh, great. Oh, good. <laughs> I know that annoyed you about calling me by your name. It did, big time, yeah. When they're done... Lenny apologises for his behaviour at the party and confesses his love for George. George says that to prove it to him, he wants Lenny to tell his jock friends about them, which Lenny begrudgingly agrees. Seems like suicide, but okay, sure. They come out of the closet, pun intended, (laughs) and walk over to Lenny's friends hand in hand. Uh Lenny introduces George as his boyfriend to them, and it kicks off. Okay. They start beating Lenny and George up, and in an attempt to protect George, Lenny lies on top of him and takes the brunt of the beating. Uh, Mr. Williams, Brian Cranston, runs over and breaks it up, but mm-hmm. not before Lenny has taken a serious beating to the head. The jocks are sent away, and Mr. Williams calls an ambulance for Lenny. George is mostly okay, though. Yeah. So one thing leads to another, and uh, the jocks go to Lenny's house and burn it to the ground. Oh, no. 
They didn't know, but Lenny's dad was inside. Oh, gosh. Well, this is tragedy upon tragedy. It is. It's awful. So George rushes home to warn his parents about this, um, and they agreed to run away immediately, but George says that he's, he's got to stay behind and like, get Lenny. Sure. Lenny's not going to do well now. Mm-hmm. So by the time George gets to the hospital, Lenny has already been in surgery or whatever, and... Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Tight scripting. Um, And it's in a hospital bed with a bandage around his head. Okay. Or whatever. Mm -hmm. He's not safe there, so George takes him away. He manages to get to the train station and stow away in a train carriage. We fade to black with George sitting on the floor of the carriage with Lenny's head in his lap. Aww. That. Oh, that was really nice. I like that. That was nice and boys. I mean, that was what? Well, it was. It was. It was a nice sentiment, I guess. Sort of. <laughs> in some ways, maybe. In some ways, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very anachronistic. like Deeply anachronistic. Yes. But I thought that was an intriguing way to explain their relationship, that actually maybe they were, you know, lovers or attracted to one another. And then obviously mm-hmm. Lenny had a, well, not an accident, but uh, but that would explain why they were, why George A was so affectionate to him and also felt kind of beholden to him. So, mm. yeah, that's good. And then it really adds something to the later film, where he has to kill him at the end and just like, okay, oh, now he's got a much, much bigger history. Oh, God, yeah, it's a huge tragedy, yeah. And was also partially the cause of it. Oh, God, now I'm even more depressed. Thanks. Yep, <laughs> that's, that's what I went for. Yeah. Oh, but John Travolta. <laughs> Great, yeah. Very good, no? I think that was very inventive, mm-hmm. very interesting. I would never have thought of that in a million years. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we get to some listener submissions then? Go for it. Cool. So, we had a lot this week, because of course... It's a quite well-known story. Good. As usual, we had a lot of good plays on the title. Mm-hmm. So Zachary Pierce said, Men, Two Mice, number two. Oh, yeah. nice, nice. Similarly, Tom Brennan said, Two Mice, Two Men. I prefer that one. Yeah, I like Two Mice, mm-hmm. Two Men better, yeah. Uh, Mike Carey said, More Mice, More Men. Johnny James Fuller said, Of Mice and Men too, The Squeakwell. Oh, Very good. Should have seen that one coming. Yeah. Uh, Will Buckingham said, Of Mice and Men too, Lenny's Revenge. Yeah, actually, well, like got... Lenny comes back as a zombie or something. Well, we've got a run of these. So, uh, John, Joe Rayner said, Return of the Living Lenny. Sean Gleason said, Of Mice and Men 2, Frankenstein's Lenny. Mm-hmm. Horrifying to think about, but yeah. You might not get this one. This is, this is a 90s reference that I enjoyed. Tell me if this means anything to you or not. Jason Rissestein said, Of Biker Mice from Mars and Men. Does that mean anything to you? Biker Mice from Mars? Was it a cartoon? No. Saturday mornings? No. No? Okay. Well, no. I liked it. Cool, great. <laughs> yeah. Then we've got some actual ideas. <laughs> Asobi Datora said, Two dudes are locked in a room. Mice slowly encircle and outnumber them and then eat them. <laughs> grim. Very grim. That sounds like one of the scenes from Saw or something. Yeah. Maybe that's what he was going for. I don't know. Mm. Uh, Drew Miller said, In the far future, Lenny is resurrected by a shadowy government agency to fight a war for the very future of mankind as mecha-humanoid infantry combat elite in of M-I-C-E and men. <laughs> uh, Mike Silver said... The year is 2031. We discover that Lenny survived the shooting and has been kept in cryogenic limbo by government scientists for 120 years. Lenny's consciousness is downloaded and used as the basis for the least helpful AI assistant ever. (laughs) (laughs) Pet rabbit sales go through the roof. (laughs) Great. I like the idea that whatever you ask Alexa, it just orders you a pet rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Castleson said of Mice and Men 2, The Legend of Lenny's Gold. Mm -hmm. Jamie Piedmont Murgatroyd Teller said of Modest Mice and Men. The band of Modest, Modest mm-hmm. Mouse. Like, yeah. uh, Dennis Fanning said, Oh, M&M, my skies finish last. Nice. Yeah, very good. Nick Roseblade said, Of Mice and Men too. weekend at Mice's. George and Candy go off and set up their dream farm, but they put the deeds in Lenny's name. The bank wants to come and make sure everything's ship shape. 
George and Candy sneak back and steal Lenny's body, which Curly's been using as a punch bag. Hilarity ensues. So that's a riff on a film called uh, Weekend at Bernie's, where mm-hmm. the plot is that basically two characters have to pretend to court but are still alive. Right, sure. Wacky doesn't choose. And what Williams said of cats and crazy cat ladies. So maybe that's like a feminist spin, I don't know. How is that a feminist spin? No, it's probably not. It's anti-feminist, if anything. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's going through your head? Well, it's, have cats and crazy... Well, I'm guessing it's a female cast, is what I'm saying. Okay. Sure. Um, mean it's a feminist... No, okay, fine. Feminist fine, thing. Okay. We can make it feminist. It could be, like, ironic. I don't know. I'm giving Walt Williams the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our good friend Julio, from the Contrarians podcast, at mm-hmm. Contrarian Prime, uh, said, of M1C3 and M3N... Sorry, of mice and men, but with numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awakening... In the weeks following Lenny's death, George slowly realises something. He liked it. He liked killing him. <laughs> and now he must quench the constant thirst for blood that swells inside him. Mm. So I'm a little concerned that um, guesting on our podcast has caused Julia to pick up on some dark impulses that we usually go with. So mm. get help, Julia. We both have. It yeah, helps. we're both in advanced counselling at this we, stage. We don't murder anymore. No. <laughs> we're on a 12-step. It's fine. <laughs> False Starts Podcast, at False Starts Pod, said... It's ten years later. George has achieved the American dream and he now lives in a beautiful big house in the country. He wakes one night and goes outside where he's greeted by Lenny dressed as a giant horrific rabbit who tells George that the world is going to end. <laughs> so yes, it's just Donnie Darker. <laughs> Blokebusters said, of mice and men, exactly the same, but was made in an animation style and has with Redwall-esque mice as all the characters. Mm. Did you ever read Redwall or yeah, watch Redwall? I think I did a long time ago. Yeah, I don't really mice. remember it. Yeah, could be good. Blokebusters then put in brackets, can you tell I've not seen this one? <laughs> and finally, Heavy Metal Horrorcast at HMHcast said, The Truth About Mice and Men, a whimsical rom-com which sees two drifters forge an unlikely friendship while fighting for the affections of the same girl. Animosity soon turns to love, however, when the pair realise their soulmate was never as far as they seemed. That's kind of similar to yours. Yeah. Cool. Lovely. Very right. nice. So yeah, those are our sequels. Thank you very much, guys. Uh, if you have a sequel idea for Of Mice and Men, please let us know. Or any films we've done in the past, please let us know. We are Beyond the Box Set. You can find us at beyondtheboxset.com. Our podcast is available on all good podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Acast, Podbean. Uh, you can also find us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr. Just search Beyond the Box Set or at Beyond the Box Set for Twitter. And if you really like the show, you can leave us a review, hit subscribe. It really helps us out. Or you can become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com forward slash Beyond the Box Set. Uh, or you can also buy Beyond the Box Set merchandise at tpublic.com. Again, just search Beyond the Box Set. And... Finally, uh, guess next, next week. Next week, yeah. Next week, you, you looked like I'd missed something. I don't know. You, no. make, you were making a face. No. Okay. I was, I was making a face like, wow, he's actually doing it in like good time. Oh, okay. Well, now you threw me off, so well done. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, my choice next week. Mm-hmm. So I realised that accidentally we've been, had a bit of a theme in the past couple of weeks, which is uh, Julio Brosso's That Thing You Do, which mm. was directed by Tom Hanks who's obviously better known as an actor. Uh, all right, okay, yeah. And you gave us Of Mice and Men, directed by Gary Sinise, yeah. who's better known as an actor. So I thought I would also choose a film that was directed by a well-known actor. So I have decided that we are going to do the classic 90s comedy, The Cable Guy, mm-hmm. which stars Jim Carrey and Ben Stiller, and was directed by Ben Stiller. Right. So, have you ever seen The Cable Guy? No. Okay. Well, that's our film for next week. Okay, warning you, I'm not a Ben Stiller fan. Okay, are you a Jim Carrey fan? Yeah, kind of. Well, we'll hit, hit and miss. Okay, what have you got against Ben Stiller? Don't like him. Don't like him? Well, maybe this will change your mind. I don't know. Nah. We will, We shall see. So yeah, join us next week for The Cable Guy. 
Great, so, I can't yeah. wait. Enjoy. <laughs> From of mice and men to the cable guy. You can't say we are not diverse on this podcast. <laughs> cool. Lovely. Right, okay. So, see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye. See you later. Bye.